We have a really exciting thing coming up at Creekside Church on the Saturday just before Easter. So this would be on the 31st of March. Out here in the yard, all over around, are going to be, Lord willing, 6,000 eggs, plastic eggs, stuffed with candy. All right? And we're going to invite the neighbors and friends, your family, friends, neighbors, everybody who wants to come and collect eggs and get the goodies inside. They'll, we'll gather in here and we'll uh, have a little gospel presentation and we'll go outside and, and uh, see some fun and have some fun with the kids and young people. So to make this happen... Uh, we are not on a cruise ship now, even though many of our people are on spring break, and they are literally uh, maybe on a cruise ship or whatever. This is an all-hands-on-deck thing, okay? So on Saturday, March 24th, we need everybody who can put candy in an egg to be here, if possible, to put candy in an egg, starting at 8 o'clock until we get done, and that's the, the first part of it. Some of us are going to go out and take invitations out into the neighborhoods around and uh, invite people to come. You don't have to invite people to come, and please don't wait until then to invite people to come, because out on at the Welcome Center, there's a stack of cards, invitations. I want you to take a stack of invitations, but don't take more than you're going to pass out. You know, don't just stick, take them home and stack them on your dresser. Take them and give them out. And if you run out, then come back and get more. And if we run out, we'll print more. I'm also going to ask you to be praying. I was just praying the other day for this Easter egg hunt. You know, when we do stuff, sometimes we just do it and we think, well, we're just going to do this. Well, that's a big thing we do at our church. How about if we ask the Lord to be a part of it because we know from John 15 that if we do anything apart from him, it's nothing. You know, apart from me, you can do nothing, he says. So I'm going to ask you to do that. And I'm also going to ask the big ask is for those things. And then we need some eggs, okay, plastic eggs. So the next time you're at Walmart or Target or Sam's Club or Costco, uh, Look for the plastic eggs and throw a bag in the cart and, and bring them here and drop them on Sundays. There's a tub out there. And candy. We need candy. Now, it specifies all this stuff. I didn't read all the details, but please read the instructions in the bulletin. We don't just need any kind of candy. We need certain kinds of candy that won't spoil, rot, or uh, mess up. You know, we don't want you to buy jelly beans and stick them in there. So you have to have stuff that's in an individual wrapper, okay? So you got that? Blue bag is for the what? General offering. And the green bag is for the missions offering. Easter egg hunt's coming up. March 24th is the work day. And everything else is getting ready and be, prayer, be in prayer for it. All right? Now, it's an exciting time for me. I'm just thinking about, you know, all the opportunity we have to build relations in our community and, or with our friends and family and neighbors to share Jesus with them. What is the purpose of Easter? What is it all about? Let's pray. Father, I just pray that as we uh, take up this offering that you would receive these gifts from our hands, that you would help us to see that we at Creekside Church want to be part of, of ministering to the, the people around us and sharing the truth of Jesus. That, that Easter is not about an Easter bunny, even though we have some fun with eggs and candy, but it's about a resurrected Lord that provides salvation for those of us or sinful and condemned to hell. Pray that you would uh, use these gifts for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers.
answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Pray with me if you would, please. Father, we just got done singing about a lot of things and saying we believe in a lot of the major truths, doctrines of the Scripture. And it is my prayer uh, that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the things you have for us in your Word that affirm the things we just sang. And I pray that you would take what we've said and truly wash over our hearts and our souls so that it's true for us, that we believe in God the Father, that we believe in Christ the Son, we believe in the Holy Spirit, our God, the three-in-one, in the resurrection, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of, of Christ, and that they would become more than just talking points, but that they would be truths that we cling to. Open our eyes, Father, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law, not just to educate us, not just to inform us, but to change us and transform us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I just have to set the record straight. Last Sunday, I mispronounced uh, Coco, okay? So I, I, you know, allow me some slack. I said Cocoa. Uh, but uh, if you read it phonetically, I would make a case that you could pronounce it that way. But I also studied English, and so this is it. This is one of the marbles. It's cocoa. Okay, so that has nothing to do with what I'm going to say now, but I just wanted to set the record straight. The U.S. women's hockey team uh, defeated the Canadian women's hockey team for the first time in 20 years and won the gold medal in the 2018 Winter Olympics. Became the you know, world champions in ice hockey, okay? Women's ice hockey. As we are working our way through 1 John, we come to chapter 5, and John opens by talking about a different kind of world champion in 1 John chapter 5. His concern is, is not that the believers to whom he wrote or believers who listened to it afterwards become the best in the world, but that they not be bested by the world. That the world doesn't get the best of us, but we get the best of the world. That we overcome. And in fact, he wants us to overcome the world. Mentioned three times this word, overcome, in the few short verses at the end of this section. And overcoming, he makes a case, is a function of being born of God. That those who are born of God are the ones that overcome. Now, new birth is revealed. Uh, itself makes itself known in those who have overcome. And they overcome by proving that they have met the test and passed the test. Three particularly in this passage. And they're not new to this passage because we've seen them repeated as we go on and on and on throughout 1 John. The test of faith, the test of love, and the test of obedience are repeated here again in this section. You see, in John's eyes, champions are not those who 
are the ice hockey champions of the world. The champions in, in John's eyes are not those who win Olympic gold. They're not the ones who win the Powerball jackpot. They're not the ones who win an Oscar. They're not the ones who win the state basketball championship or the NCAA basketball championship. The champions of the world are those who overcome the world. And the wicked, evil forces, the corrupt system that seeks to turn our heart away from God. To trust ourselves, And to be led astray by the enemy, the devil. Those are the overcomers. Those are the ones who are the world champions. John declares that the true champions of the world are those who have been freed from the power and the penalty of sin because of their personal faith or their trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as the payment for their sins, giving them the presence of the Spirit of God that enables us to overcome and win over the world. And this morning, as we look at 1 John chapter 5, the first five verses, which you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. There's uh, Bibles under the seats in front of you if you don't have one. We're going to see that being born of God is the secret to overcoming the world, but we're going to see that the answer to two questions help us to understand what it means to overcome, how it's possible for us to overcome. What does this being born of God and overcoming involve? I'm going to read the text, and then we'll begin to unpack it. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. But by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So what's the proof? What's the proof of our being born of God? Three tests. If we pass three tests, it proves that we are indeed born of God. First is our faith. What do we believe? Notice the text begins with, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, I don't know what version you're reading, but the English Standard Version, I think, has a better translation, or has the, the best translation here. It says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now, is born of God, if you want to have it as a perpetual present, that's true too, but has been born of God. Believes is in the present tense. It conveys a present ongoing action. So he's not particularly focused on the past faith that brought us into a relationship with God, but ongoing faith that gives evidence that we have at some point in the past personally put our trust or our faith in Jesus. But we're continuing, we're believing right now that Jesus, that is in the flesh, God in the flesh, that Jesus in the flesh has been, uh, is, is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. So it's the present tense. At some point in the past, we've believed, but right now, we are believing in Christ. Some people used to attend Chicago Cubs baseball games uh, long before the Cubs became the world champions. Now, their attendance 
prior to them becoming the world champions is evidence of their allegiance. They had become a fan before they started attending. They had to become a fan because who else would go to a Chicago Cubs game when they weren't worth anything? You know? You had to prove you were aligned with the Cubs in order to be in attendance. What John is saying here, if we are believing right now, sitting here this morning, if you're believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then you have been born of God. You're a child of His. You've been born again. Present and ongoing evidence. Everyone who currently believes that Jesus, fully human, is the Christ, God in the flesh who died on the cross as the payment for our sins has been born of God. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. I've said before, and I'll say it again, the indisputable evidence of correct doctrine is a correct understanding of who Jesus is. If we don't get Jesus right, we don't have it right. You can look at any major world religion, and where they err, where they fall short, is in their understanding of who Jesus is, the person and work of Jesus. Whether it's the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Muslims, the Christian scientists, Scientology, all of them somehow either deny the deity of Jesus and or the full humanity of Jesus, or both. And therefore, they are not, according to what John says, born of him. They're not his children, not his spiritual children. So, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So the challenge this morning is, what are you believing? I was in a discussion recently with someone who said, well, I don't have a day, you know, I can't point to a day when I, when I started believing in Jesus, you know. I just was, uh, I, I've just grown up and I just know now that I believe in Jesus. I said, that's cool. You don't have to have a day, an hour, a moment when you turn from sin and trusted Christ in your own. There's a, there is a time that that happened. You may not know when it was. He says, are you believing? So the question I have for you this morning, are you believing? What are you believing about Jesus this morning? Do you believe, are you believing that man is sinful? Which is what the Bible says. We all are like sheep. We've gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. And it's interesting, uh, you know, there are a few of you who have agricultural background, but, but sheep are really sheep. I mean, they, they really are not smart, okay? They, they will just walk away. And if, especially if one other one walks away, the others will just follow. It's like, oh, that looks like a good place to go, right in the middle of the road where we're going to get hit. You know? All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way, which says we're rebellious in our heart. Each one is either indifferent towards God, I don't really care about God, or we are actively rebellious. I know what he wants, and I'm not going to do that, because I don't want to do that. And then because of that, we deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. The penalty for our rebellion is separation from God. But God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. He paid the price, the debt that we deserve so that we don't have to. Somebody's going to pay it. There's a crime that's been committed and somebody's going to pay it. We have offended God. 
and somebody has to pay. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. But we must not just know it in our head, we must know it in our heart. 18 inches between heaven and hell. You know. Do I really trust in Christ and his death as a payment for it? And are you believing that this morning? John says, the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God has been born again, has been brought into the family of God. That's the evidence that we're in the family of God. If you aren't in the family of God, you aren't trusting and believing in that, then my invitation to you is now is the day of salvation. Now is the time for you to trust in Christ and to turn and to accept his gift as the payment you deserve. That's all there is to it. It's, but the Spirit of God has to be gnawing in your heart. It's the Spirit of God who does the work. So there's the faith test. Are you believing? If you're believing, then you're born. Then there's the love test. And the two are very, very connected. Because belief determines behavior. Attitude determines action. We only really believe what motivates us to action. So notice what he says at the end of verse 1. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. You see, if we're born again, if I'm believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that brings me into a new relationship. So God is my heavenly Father, and everyone who's trusting in God is my brother or my sister. A new love relationship between the Father vertically and horizontally with every other person who is a child of God. And then I will act like part of the family. If you're in 1 John, just look over at verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If, I'm got, if I've got the spiritual DNA of my heavenly Father, which is love, then I will express that love to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Children are like their parents, and I've said this before. And you go, yeah, that's, that's a lot in 1 John. He keeps saying that, love, love, love. And I'm thinking, you know, it's probably because we're pretty dull. And we don't get it. My dad said something pretty astute, I think. One of the things he said that was pretty astute. When I was a young guy and I was starting to get interested in uh, members of the opposite sex and uh, looking at women in a little different light than just like, you know, somebody that you can play, shoot hoops with or play basketball with, you know, whatever like that. He said to me, he says, son, he says, look, if you, if you just, just look at this girl and realize that in 20 years, she's going to be just like her mother. So if you look at the mother, and then you look at the girl, 20 years from now, that's what she's going to be like in a lot of different ways. I mean, physically, emotionally, attitude-wise. I mean, just, it's, and you know what? There's a lot of truth in that. If we are a child of God, then we will be like our Father. That's what John says. The spiritual DNA is there. It, we, will, we will love with sacrificial, selfless attitude towards other brothers and sisters in Christ, thinking not of myself only, but of them as well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, he says this, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So, I have to ask myself, is my belief matched by my behavior? Or is my professed belief 
consistent with my, my behavior, my attitudes, and my actions towards other people, God's people. And that begins with our family. And sometimes that's the hardest place. The other day we were working in the house and um, scrambling around trying to get some stuff done. And, and, uh, and Marla said to me, that's my wife, she said to me, she says, I think you need to go out and, and get something, you know, and, you know, with, with a house remodeling project, there's all this running around that has to be done. It just has to be done. But at that point in time, I was not thinking about other things getting done, but what we were, the task at hand. And I kind of lost it. You know, I just said, no, we need to get stuff done here. And then I realized um, the, the love that, I mean, for me, it was like I wanted to, love would be expressed in a different way. So the love I was expecting, I was not experiencing. And I realized, you know what? What God calls me to is not to expect a love to be experienced, but to express a love that is to be experienced. You see, we get it mixed up. Say, I'm not feeling love. No, God says you're supposed to be giving love. But most of us focus on the getting and not the giving. And so I had to uh, repent and confess and, you know, ah. And that's part of that greater is he who is in you. You know, that's the Spirit of God convicting us and bringing us. We're not perfect. We're progressing if we're a child of God. If I believe, it isn't, okay, all of a sudden I'm the most loving person ever on the face of the planet Earth towards other believers. No, but I should be growing in that. I should be, I should be growing in that. I should be understanding and, and, and expressing what God wants me to do. John chapter 15, I want you to look at this uh, on, the, on the screen. Uh, it says this, this is my commandment, Jesus speaking, that you love one another just as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. I don't like dying. I really don't. I mean, I, I just, I kind of like living for me. You know, so, but this love thing means I got to die to me and live to other people. You are my friends if you do what I command you, Jesus says. See, love to others does not primarily consist of my analysis of where they're failing to love me. It consists of where am I supposed to be loving them. I, uh, I was in a conversation with someone the other day, and I realized that after the conversation, I realized, you know, what I was more focused about on in that conversation was me than it was the other person. That I was more concerned about how I was coming across or what I was contributing to the conversation than I was in understanding where they were at and how they were feeling and what was going on in their heart. And love is looking to the other person. And so I, again, I was like, okay, Lord, I get it, you know, I'm preaching on love and that's what you want me to do. And, and I just had to repent and say, Lord, I, I ask you to give me grace to be more concerned about others involved in their lives when I'm interacting with them than about myself. I would venture to say that most of us are, have a trouble remembering the names of people we meet for the first time because we're more concerned about our impression with them than we are about who they are. 
just an aside there. So it's really time, church of Jesus Christ, to stop focusing on where we are failing to experience God's love and to start focusing on where we are to express God's love. That's the challenge, I think, one of them from this text. Let's focus on how I should be expressing the love of Jesus rather than how so-and-so is failing to give me and let me experience the love of Jesus. Now, here's John stresses the necessary connection between the love for the Father and the love for God and His children uh, in the lives of those who are born of God. Look at verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. Now, I find that interesting. As you read through the text, he says, you know that we love the Father if we love the children. And then he goes in the next verse, for we know that we, know the love, that we love the children of God. And I'm thinking, no, we know that we love God. He says, no, we love the children of God. We know that we love the children of God. So he's saying this, I guess maybe I'm making a long thing of it, even as we cannot love the Father if we don't love the children, we cannot love the children if we don't love the Father. It goes both ways. It's a reciprocal thing. I know I love God if I love his children. And if I love God, I will love his children. That's how it works. This is how it happens. That's what he says in 1 John 20, 4.20. This is it. So then he goes, like, and he makes it even more difficult. How do I know that if I love the Father and I love the children? If I do what God says. I'm born of God if I believe. And if I believe, I will love the Father and I love the children. And if I believe and love God and love the children, then guess what? I'll, I'll show that I believe and I love God and love the children because they do what God commands. That's verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. There's the obedience, the obedience test. Turn back to 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Well, I thought we come to know him if we believe. Yeah. And if we believe, we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments, then we really believe. And verse 4 of 1 John chapter 2. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps the word in which in him the love of God has truly been perfected, by this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he abides in him ought himself also to walk in the same manner in which he walked. And Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. I say, okay, yeah, I know. I'm supposed to keep his commands. But... It's not supposed to be a duty. It's supposed to be a delight. So which command should we keep? We're supposed to keep his commands, right? What, what command should we keep? I mean, that's a big list. Old Testament, 613 ordinances of law. You know, phew, I can't remember them all. Well, Jesus kind of distilled it down. Matthew chapter 22. What's the greatest commandment? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. So I'm supposed to love God. So whatever stands in the way of my love for God must be sin. So I need to love God supremely. So whatever, I mean, it's ongoing. We, we have these other things that we love, right? Oh, I love watching basketball. Oh, Really? Okay, that's fine. You like it. you get it through all the watch. I like watching a good basketball game too. I love 
you know, my clothes. Okay, that's cool. Uh, some people, I mean, it's not cool, I guess, uh, if you love clothes in the same way that you love people, but some people are more into clothes than other people. Some people are more into shoes. Some people are more into cars. Some people are more into the house. Some people are more into this. So I love this stuff. It's okay to enjoy it and appreciate it. But if that stuff stands in the way of my love for God, then it becomes an idol. He says, love God supremely. How do I know if I'm one of his children? If I love and keep his commandments. If I keep his commandments. Some people love popularity. They love fame, fortune. You know, that's, how, that's what they love. We're supposed to love our neighbor. That's Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. Greatest commandment is love the Lord. The second greatest commandment is love your neighbor. And this is a summary of the entire Ten Commandments. Vertical, horizontal. Love God, love others. Some of you have these little uh, stickers in your windows. I've seen them. I see one down there that says L-Y-N. Love your neighbor. Well, I think we need to resurrect that, you know, or, or keep up with that. Love your neighbor. That's what God has uh, called us to do. And Jesus commanded us to love our neighbor and to care for them. Invite your neighbors to the Easter egg hunt. Love your neighbor. Let them hear about Jesus. Love your neighbor. Show them some good kindness. Love your neighbor. Uh, bring your snowblower down the driveway, down the hill, and, and help your neighbor. You know, that was, that's good. Love your neighbor. That's what God calls us to do. We have these little cards. We passed them out a, little, a few weeks ago. Be the church. Introduce yourself to somebody who you don't know. Love your neighbor. Get together with somebody for lunch. Love your neighbor. You know, all these kinds of things. Let's, let's be the church. Let's ask God to help us be who God calls us to be in loving each other. And it's not burdensome. Notice the text. I didn't say that. Uh, John said it. And his commandments are not burdensome. There was a rare occasion in our household when one of our children was given a list of chores. And they took the list without complaint, and they went and they completed the list and asked if there were anything else they could do. I said a rare occasion. Do you know what delight that brings to a parent? When, when, when the child is not burdened by the things that they're asked to do. What delight it would bring to our Heavenly Father for us to do the things He's called us to do. And why would we do that anyway? Because of who He is. Not because of what He's done for us, not because of anything, but because He is worthy. He's deserving of our praise and He's deserving of our obedience. It's not burdensome. It's not a burden. You see, to the natural man, what God asks is ridiculous, it's rigid. It's too regimented. I mean, why would I do this? Why would I be kind to other people when they're being a jerk to me? Why would I give money for somebody who's over in a different country talking about Jesus? When are they going to get a real job? You know? Why would I not cheat on my income taxes? I mean, you know. That's the natural mind asking these questions. And to them, it makes perfect sense not to do it. But to the child of God, it's like, I would not do that because 
I love my father. And I want to please my father. And he's deserving of my obedience and my allegiance and my love. Gladly do what God has called me to do. They, you know, the people who are born of God believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They love the Father, they love the children, and they obey gladly His commandments. They're willing to obey it. Now, it's a test. Three tests. It's not like it's a, it's not like pass or fail. It's like, well, are we, are we progressing? Do I believe? That's, that's a non-negotiable, Okay. Do I love? Well, not perfectly, but do I love? Is there any evidence of it? And do I obey gladly? Is there evidence of it? Not that I have to have it all together and perfect. In order to go to seminary, I had to take the graduate record exam. It's called the GRE, and you have to take this test in order to get into graduate school. And it wasn't really a very fun test, and I uh, didn't really spend a lot of time preparing for the test, probably that I should have, but I did do some preparation for it. And I, I, obviously I passed the test, so I was able to get in. But I passed the test. Did we pass the test? It's important to pass the test of being born of God. Why? Because if we're not born of God, then we're not going to be a world champion. That's the second question that he answers here. What's the point of being born of God? I mean, why should we be born of God? Look at verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, read that again. For whatever is born of God. Doesn't that sound a little odd when you read it? Whatever is born of God. That's an indefinite pronoun. That's not like a personal pronoun. Whatever. What do you mean, whatever? I mean, can whatever be born of God? Could the chair be born of God? I don't think so. But here's what he's saying, I think. And this is my best attempt at it. Whatever is an indescript non-thing in order to bring attention to the power of God in bringing about the overcoming. Even an inanimate, what Jesus said of the stones. If you guys don't rise up, I can have the stones rise up and praise me. Sing Hosanna. The stones would rise up. See, God's power transcends people. So it's not the people that overcome. It's the power of God within us that overcomes. I think that's what he's saying. We might expect, you know, the, 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 it's the new birth in us, that being born of God. That's what enables us to overcome. Uh, some of you have seen the, the movie uh, Cars. I mean, there's like how many movies? Like Cars, one, two, three, four, five, probably six, seven, eight, nine. I don't know, but they're, they're, they're multiplying. But anyhow, in the movie Cars, uh, Lightning McQueen gets a chance to race for the championship but gives it up out of concern for his friends. Doesn't want to alienate his friends. Doesn't want to hurt his friends. Is that right? Get that right? I think that's true. At the very beginning, he doesn't want to, he, he kind of passes up the chance to be the champion or fight for the, so that he can be, cares for his friends. Now, where does that come from? It's not from his chassis. It's not because he's a classy chassis and he, and he gave that, no, he's trying to shine. He's trying to shine, but it's something inside, under the hood, is where that came from. Overcoming comes from under the hood. It's what's inside that counts. It's what's inside us that enables us to overcome the world. It's the God's power within those who are born of God. 
It's the presence of the Spirit of God in us that enables us to overcome. That's what causes us. Overcome, three times in verses 4 and 5. Overcome, overcome, overcome. Overcome the world, overcome the world, overcome the world. Three times. What's the world? It's that evil world system that's characterized by moral degeneracy and spiritual heresy. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, sinful pride of life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, sinful pride of life. It's the world system under the control of the enemy. It permeates our society. It's under the control of the enemy, and it, can, it can includes the unseen spiritual forces of darkness that are at work to tempt us and draw us away. And we can overcome that, he says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, you know... The word overcome. Let me just show the, show the slide. Okay, uh, the next one. Have we got it? Yes. That's it. Overcome. Nike. We pronounce it Nike, but that's because we don't know Greek. Nike. Okay. Nike. Victory. That's what it means in Greek. Victory. Overcome. The ones who overcome are the ones who have been born of God. Believing in Jesus, He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and His death paid the price for my sins, and I'm accepting His death on my behalf. And I have proven that because I love God and love the brothers, and I know that I love God and love the brothers because I obey God's commands, and His commands are not burdensome to me. I've been transformed the power of the Spirit of God, and I overcome. I remember when our son was about a sophomore in high school, and he'd been working out, and he'd been lifting weights, and we used to wrestle all the time, and so we're wrestling on the floor, and we're wrestling, and he put me in a hold, and he had, a, he had his legs around my legs, and he was clamping down like this real hard, and I heard things starting to crunch. And that's when I, you know, you know, I tapped out, you know, just like WWE, you know, wham, wham, I'm done, you know, I'm, I'm done. I hit the, start hitting the mat, you know. He had overcome. Okay, okay. I haven't wrestled with him since. You know, he could take me out. And I, I admit it. The text says that who, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is, the enemy is overcome in the present and progressively and perpetually overcome. We are the victors over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Rankin Wilborn in his book, Union with Christ, put it this way, Christ in you is greater than anything that threatens you. Christ in you is greater than anything that threatens you. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you might not buy into that. If you're here this morning and you do know Jesus, you might struggle with that. Because all of us, most of us, have been in stuff that we thought, okay, I know Christ is in me, but I sure am not feeling like I'm winning. You know, I'm kind of feeling like a loser, not a victor. Why is that so? I want you to look, first of all, at 1 John 4.4. 4. 
He says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's where Rankin gets that. Christ in you is greater than anything that threatens you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And Romans chapter 8, you can write this down, read it later, 35 through 39, begins with, what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? He says, we're, we're counted like sheep before the slaughters, going before them as dumb animals. But in all these things, he says, in verse 36, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth nor any other created being is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever you're going through as a believer, it is a lie from the pit of hell that you are a loser. Whatever you're going through, you are a victor in Christ. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask. It doesn't mean everything is going to be hunky-dory. It's going to be fine. Look at the book of Job. It was not good for him. But God was in it, somehow working some way. I don't know. I don't totally understand it. But the victor in us that feels like a loser sometimes fails to understand the secret and to employ the secret, which is the second aspect of this. Who overcomes those who believe? And why do we overcome is the second part of it. At the end of verse 4, he says, this is the victory which overcomes the world, our faith. The reason the means whereby we overcome is our faith. Now, by faith, we've been incorporated into the family of God. That's verse 1. We believe, and we continue to believe. But here, it's by this faith, we've been united with Christ. We have full access to the grace of God. It is not, we're not saved by our own actions, our own words, our own deeds. We're saved by the grace of God. It's a free gift, and we have access to that as His children by faith. And by faith... It's the faith, the grace of God that covers us. And it's God's astounding power that resides within us that enables us to overcome the enemy and to gain that victory. Even though we don't feel like it right now, it's the power of God within us. Victory we possess by faith is perfected by faith. The victory we possess is perfected by faith. It grows, it matures as we exercise more faith. We keep walking by faith. We keep growing in our realization of the victory we have over the enemy. That's the picture I think he portrays. Believes is a continuous active confidence in Jesus as the God in the flesh. So as I continue, okay, Lord, I, 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 I've got a clue what's going on. But I'm Firmly rooted in Christ. I believe, I believe I'm hanging on to my faith in Christ. And the lies of the enemy, he keeps showing them at us, and we just keep claiming the truth of God's word and walking by faith, and we gain the victory in Christ. Gives us victory over every internal and external, external error, evil, or enemy that tempts to steer us away from following our Lord. Even in a path that means makes no sense to us, 
even down a path that seems like, God, how could you be doing this? You know, read Romans 9. Does the clay say to the potter, you know, what are you doing? No. The clay says, okay, this is what you have for me. This is what you have for me. I'll walk by faith. And like Job says, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. March Madness is upon us. Uh, it's here. Uh, some of you don't know what I'm talking about. That's fine, okay? But uh, some people know what March Madness is. There's only going to be one NCAA champion, okay? Society declares that only those with the most toys wins. Society declares that, you know, you have to be important, significant, popular, rich to be a champion. The Bible says only believers are world champions, but every believer is a world champion, a champion over the world. We conquer sin. We're overcomers. We follow in faith. World champions follow in faith. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We love God and his children, and we obey, and it's not burdensome to us. So, are you a victor today, or are you a vanquished foe? And if you're a victor, then look to this text and see, God, it says I'm an overcomer. I feel like an overcomer, or I don't feel like an overcomer. So where is my faith? Help me to steal my faith. I just love it when the, when the one guy says, Lord, I believe, just help my unbelief. You know, that's honesty. God, help me. And some of you here, you, maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you're not believing but you have the opportunity, you've been given the invitation that you too can be an overcomer. You can be a world champion. And that's what I invite you to do today. And as we come to the table of communion, here's the deal. The victory every born, everyone born of God experiences is our participation by faith in the victory that Christ won at Calvary over sin and death and the devil by putting our faith or our trust in him. And that's all we celebrate. As we take the elements, we break the bread, it reminds us of his body broken for us and his blood shed. And then he rose again to conquer sin and the grave. And we celebrate that victory that we share in as his children. And we renew our faith in, in that. And if we're here and we don't know Jesus, then it's an invitation to realize that he broke his body and shed his blood so that you could be free and be a victor as well. So if you're a child of God here this morning, I invite you to take of these elements. As our praise team will come, they're going to lead us in song. Take your time and search your heart and confess your sin. Come and rejoice and celebrate the victory that we have in Christ by taking these elements. We'll pray. Let me pray. Father, take this bread and this cup and use them to remind us that we are victors. And God, help us in our lack of faith to experience the victory that is ours in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.